was on that ship, he said, well, Mr. Meyer, would you please come and speak to the passengers in first class? That's for Kate Winslet, if you're not sure. Titanic, movies, you understand where we're at here. It's that sort of era. So he went to speak to the passengers in first class and he preached to them from the Bible. And while he was there, there was in the audience a guy who really didn't believe a word he was saying. And one of his friends nudged him at the end and said, well, what did you make of that? He said, oh, a lot of old rubbish. Don't believe any of it. Oh, all right then. Well, later in the day, the captain asked him if he would go to speak to the passengers in steerage. You know what steerage is. It's the back of the airplane where your knees are under your chin or where the wheels and chickens are. It's, it's, it's the other end, you know, where Leonardo DiCaprio is. So, on the way down to steerage, that man who didn't believe saw them going. Anyway, he, he was invited to go back with his friends. So, they went back a second time that evening. He said, I'll just give this babbler another chance to see what it's, um, what it's all about, see if he's any good this evening. So, on, for some reason, he didn't know why, he was near the dining table and he took a couple of oranges and put them in his pocket. And as they were going down the decks to go down towards steerage, he happened on something that made him look twice. Sitting in a deck chair was a little old lady who had fallen asleep. And he noticed her, and not only was she asleep, but she was sort of sitting with her hands like this, sort of outstretched, open. So he thought, oh, I could have a bit of fun here and he took the two oranges out of his pockets and popped them in her hands. And then off he went to listen to uh, F.B. Meyer preach again. And then afterwards, after the sermon had finished, they made their way back up with his friend, and he, he noticed the, the little old lady had woken up now, and she was eating one of the oranges. So he thought, well, I'll have a bit of fun here. So he walked over to her and he said, oh, you, nice to see you, are you enjoying your orange? You look like you're enjoying your orange. She said, yes, my father gave them to me. He said, can I just say, ma'am, you look rather too old to have your father alive. Is it, he can't be on the ship. No, no, my heavenly father, praise the Lord, I've got this orange. And he said, what do you mean, praise the Lord? She said, well, she said, I've been feeling very seasick on the journey and I find an orange settles my stomach. And I was just praying here on the deck that God would send an orange to me so that it would settle my stomach. But I fell asleep praying. And when I woke up, there was not one but two oranges in my hands. Can you believe it? That guy became a Christian soon after that. <laughs> See, prayer really does work. And it works in the most amazing way. So let's look at the Bible for a moment. The text is going to come up on the screen and we will uh, read it together. This is following on from the story where we've been in Acts in the last couple of Sundays after Peter and John have done an incredible miracle and in healing a man who's been lame all his life uh, or many years and then they've they were taken in front of the Jewish religious authorities and given a really hard time. So we pick up the story here. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the prophets plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. 
Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Amen. Well, first of all, I want to look at our reason for praying. Let's remind ourselves why we even bother to pray. Now, Peter and John, as I said before, were dragged in front of the religious authorities because they were doing God's work and doing what God really wanted them to do. And when the authorities realised they can't do anything more to these men, they let them go. So when they return, they find the rest of the church praying. And it says this, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. It was the most obvious logical thing to do to pray because they'd seen God do great things for them. Now sometimes we pray because we're in real need. Sometimes we pray actually because life's going really well. I think I've said before that the pastor of the first church where I became a Christian became a Christian by going into a church because he wasn't a Christian but he he felt life was so marvellous he wanted to say thank you to somebody. And out of that, he became a Christian. So, for all kinds of reasons, it makes sense to pray. And here's the principle. It's coming up on the screen here, and it goes like this. And this is why we pray. If God is not there, then it's foolish to pray. But if God is there, then it's foolish not to. Amen? Does that make sense? Okay. So, that's our first point. That's our reason for praying. God is there, He hears and he answers even if it's two oranges. Okay, second point then. Our recipe for praying. How do we pray? What ingredients do we have in our praying? Well, I've picked out two from this story here. And the first one is this. It's to God. We pray to God. Now, in saying that, I don't just mean we address God in prayer, but we pray with God as the centre and God as the focus. And the most important word you will have heard in the passage I read is the word you. So I'm going to ask them to put the next slide up. We're going to go through some of the phrases again. I've, I've chopped the four screens together in one. And watch this. Sovereign Lord, they said, you may. You spoke. They conspired against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hands to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Have you noticed how much their praying was about who God is and what God is about and what God is doing? That's why their prayer was so powerful. And it's a good thing. I often listen to my own prayers sometimes and I do a kind of a rough mental tot-up. How many me's and how many yours are in my praying? 
And generally speaking, I try to get a lot more yours in than me. Because I want to pray about who he is and what he is about. When we pray the will of God, that's when our prayers are really answered. It goes like this. A few years back, in a particular church, the pastor was in his office one day when a young woman, young lass in the church came to him. She was a teenager and she was very sick. And despite their praying, she was not getting any better. And she went to the pastor and pastor said, I know we've prayed about this, but right now, I've been to the doctor and they've told me I've got a very short time to live. Pastor, what should I do with the, the short bit of time I've got left? So far, God hasn't stepped in and barring a major miracle, it's not going to happen. Let's be honest about this. So the pastor said to her, he said, well, we live in a small town and you know lots of your friends. Why don't you make a list of people that you know in your age group that need to become Christians, that need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And why don't you pray that they will find Jesus as their friend, as their saviour? Why don't you spend your last bit of time on earth doing that? So she did. She started to pray for 56 people that she put on a list. And as she began to pray, something happened. Because an atmosphere change happened in their town. And it was like what we call a revival started. The sense of God being around was there in the town. And when the girl died a little while later, they found her Bible. And inside the Bible was this prayer list of 56 names. And when they went through them, every single person on that list had given their life to Christ. And the last person to give their life to Jesus had given their life to him the night before that girl died. See, that's real praying. That's really effective prayer. When we're crying out to God and we're saying, Lord, what you want to do, you want to save these people, you want them to come to know you. Lord, you want this town to change. You want this situation. It's your will. That's when the power in our prayer goes up and up and up. That's praying with God as the centre and God as the focus. And I believe that's the kind of prayer that really gets God's attention. Okay. So the next point in this recipe is not only were they praying to God, but they were praying together. Can you see who's in the centre of that picture there, by the way? It's President Barack Obama. How about that, eh? Now, I know we're taught to pray by Jesus on our own, and there's a great place for that. We call it in church language our devotional or our quiet time. And that is a great place to be, and it's a great foundation for prayer in our lives. But on top of that, there is praying together. And the Bible has this principle, it says one puts a thousand to flight, but two puts ten thousand to flight. And as you and I and as 
people who believe in the Lord Jesus get together, there is an increase in the release of effectiveness and power in their praying. It starts out good with you on your own. It gets greater when you get together with other people to pray. There's a level of authority in touching God that happens when God's people get together. And it's something tremendous that we can all benefit by and all be blessed by. Did you know the destiny of kings and queens and presidents and nations can be changed by groups of people praying? Let me give you a couple of examples in the time we've got. During the 16th century, it was a very turbulent time in the history of the United Kingdom. And there was in Scotland a man called John Knox who was leading a church reformation. He was smartening the church up, getting the church sorted out. And the only problem was the Queen at the time, Mary Queen of Scots, hated him and hated what he was doing because the more he was sorting the church out, the more her own position as Queen looked untenable and like it wouldn't continue. And she said this about him, I fear John Knox's prayers more than an army of 10,000 men. Wow, how about that? There's faith there, isn't there? She really believed prayer was going to happen. Abraham Lincoln, the, uh, the great uh, American president, said this, I've been driven many times to my knees in prayer by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed sufficient for the day. I heard a Bible teacher, many of you will know his name, if you don't know his name, his name is Derek Prince, and I can't remember whether I was at the meeting at the time or whether I heard it on a, on a, a CD or a tape, but I heard him speak about this somewhere. In his early days, Derek Prince went to Kenya, which is a, a country in East Africa, to teach in, in a school. He was like a missionary and a teacher there. And it was during the days when the British were still in control in Kenya, and they were about to pull out. And while they were there, it was, everybody was very worried about what kind of country Kenya would become after the British had fully withdrawn. Because there was a terrible thing going on there in the country next door called Mau Mau, and it was an awful, bloodthirsty rebellion. And the guy who was set to become the, the first president of Kenya, a guy called Jomo Kenyatta, was blamed for this Mau Mau rebellion. So it looked like the country was going to have a terrible leader who was a man of bloodshed, and get into all kinds of trouble. And so one night at a prayer meeting that Derek Prince was at, they decided to call the church for prayer, several hundred Africans, and Derek Prince said this, he said, when Africans pray, boy, do they pray. He said it was like the sound of many waters. The place erupted, several hundred voices all at once, just praying their hearts out. And then when this incredible time of prayer had finished, one of the guys came up to the front and took the microphone, and he said, while we were praying, I saw this happen. I saw um, a, like a picture of Kenya on the map and something like an, a, a red mass come from the right-hand side of the map, sweep across Africa, come to Kenya, and then turn upwards and go north. But Kenya was saved. And what happened after that was they, they prayed for the president. Jomo Kenyatta did become the first president of Kenya, but he changed. He didn't lead them into the kind of violent rebellion they thought they were going to have. And then a short while later, uh, a communist rebellion started to break out in, in, in the east of Africa, and it came across the sea, onto the land, and spread through different countries. And it was upheaval, 
and difficult times. And as it came to the border of Kenya, uh, Jomo Kenyatta did something quite sensible. He took the remaining British troops down to the border with his own men and they, they put like a guard at the border and it never happened. The rebellion spread north and it never affected Kenya. And for many, many years afterwards, Kenya was the only country in that part of Africa that was open and friendly to the gospel. And all the other countries around it went very atheist and left-wing and very hostile to the gospel for quite some time. You see, the destiny of a nation was changed by the church in that nation praying effectively together. This touches presidents. This touches kings and queens. This kind of praying touches nations. I feel I can't say that without we actually stand and pray for our own nation right now, did you? I wasn't going to, but I just feel overwhelmed here. Excuse me, I don't normally do this, but I just feel overwhelmed with a sense of praying for this nation. If you're a visitor here from abroad, would you mind praying with us as well? Would you mind if we all just stood for a moment and prayed for this nation? I hope I'm okay in saying this to you, but... I have no particular act, political axe to grind when I say this, but there is unrighteousness in all our political parties, and there are good men and women in all our political parties. I mean, that's, that's the truth. There is no party that's got a, a greatly Christian manifesto. I wrote to our own MP this week about the marriage issue, where they're trying to change the definition of marriage. And this matters because marriage is, is, a, is a picture of who God is. And if you change that, you change who we understand God to be. There's more at stake than just some government policy here. There's the very nature and identity of God in this whole issue. And it's just a small example of how things are going in this nation. Uh, and what we're teaching our children in our schools, of the financial crisis we're in, of the social crisis we're in, of the family crisis we're in. There are many things that will touch your heart about this nation. Some will have one, some will have another. Can I just ask you for a moment to pray with me for the next minute? And whatever's on your heart to pray for this nation, pray your heart for this nation in these next few minutes together, like those Africans did. Is that okay? Let's just lift our voice to the Lord now. Lord God. Father, today, we want to ask you for the salvation of our nation. God, we are in so much difficulty and so much trouble in this land. On the surface, it looks like we are holding it together just. But Lord, underneath, we know whether it's 
no rain in the land, whether it's no money in the land, whether it's no jobs in the land, and whether it's no God in the land. God, we are in trouble. And Lord, we ask you today to send mercy on our nation, to send revival, to send a turning around. God, we pray for ourselves that we might be your servants in a whole new way, that we might do your will, that we might cry out to you for what you want to happen in this nation. Lord, we say again, we believe this nation and its people belong to you. God, we pray, come on our nation. Heal our land. Heal our young people. Heal our government. Heal our institutions. God, heal us and change us and turn us around. Lord, we are lost without you. God, we pray, please have mercy on Great Britain in Jesus' mighty name. Pour out your Spirit on us. Send the Gospel. Send revival in us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. Let's try that. That's good. Okay, well, let's look at the last point I have here from this. And it's this, real prayer brings real results. Here's some of the results that happened to them in that particular meeting. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you don't know what that experience is, you have not had an experience of the most incredible, wonderful thing that God can do in our lives. To fill us with the power of His Holy Spirit is a remarkable, life-transforming life-giving experience. It is truly wonderful to be filled with the experience of God's Holy Spirit. God filled them with His Spirit. There were miracles. Anybody do with a miracle? We need miracles. There are many things that cannot be achieved or done and yet God can do a miracle and do the impossible. They spoke with boldness. Do you know, psychologists say the biggest fear, apart from losing someone close to you, is speaking to other people that you don't know or speaking in public to a crowd of strangers. Apparently, that is one of the most fearful things in people's lives. They'd rather not do it. The Holy Spirit gives us power inside to be able to speak to others in a way we otherwise couldn't do. We can overcome our fears and embarrassment and so on. The Holy Spirit shakes everything. It shook the house. He shook the house where they had that prayer meeting. He can shake our lives. He can shake this church. He can shake this city. And he can shake the government and the people of this nation when he comes. God is in the business of shaking things. And he can do that And as we pray in this real and incredible and effective way. So I want to make a first conclusion. It's this. Real prayer for real people to a real God has real results. So my first conclusion today is pray. It doesn't come any simpler than that. One word conclusion. Pray. 
And then I want to finish, finally, by looking at this concept. What is the greatest prayer you can ever pray? See that on the next screen. What is the greatest prayer you can ever pray? Now, I've gone to the Bible, and I've gone to the Lord Jesus, the things he said, and I've looked at all he said, spent a long time looking at this, to come up with the greatest prayer you can ever pray. And what I've come up with is 17 words from two different parts of what Jesus said. And if you put these together, I promise you, this will be the greatest prayer anyone can ever pray. So let's see the first phrase. This is it. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. This is from the story of the son that went away from home and messed up bad and then came back. Father, I have sinned against heaven and and in your sight. And then there's this one. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Now, I'll tell you why this is the greatest prayer you can ever pray. Because until you pray that prayer, the Bible says your life is lost and dead towards God. And mine certainly was. But when you pray that prayer, underneath, here are the results. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. That's why this is the greatest prayer. Because it takes us from death to life. It takes us from being lost to being found. It's a cause for celebration. Jesus said, when you pray this prayer, there will be an incredible celebration in heaven and you can celebrate too. I remember the first time I prayed this prayer, or the day I prayed this prayer, I was 18 years, one month and four days old. This is about 10 years ago now. (laughs) And more or less, maybe a bit more than a bit less. Give or take, yes. I remember the next day, because I felt so different, I knew inside I had been found I knew I was going to heaven I knew I was no longer lost what that said there the result came true for me and by tea time the next day I felt as if you could have peeled me off the ceiling I was so happy so deliriously joyful and I couldn't explain why I'd been to college that day and the other guys had taken the mickey out of me and made fun of me And the more they did that, the happier I seemed to be. There was no logical sense in it. But God will work inside my life. And God will continue at work inside our lives, every day of our lives, in that way, if we pray this prayer. I want to commend you today, those 17 words that can change your life right now. If you've never prayed them, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to pray them with us all. What I want us to do is read this out together. You can see it on the screen there. And the Bible says this, if you ask God for mercy, he will give you mercy. If you admit to him you've done wrong in your life and that you've done wrong towards him and towards others, God will forgive you and give you a whole new life and a whole new sense of purpose and being found again. Does anybody want that today? Anybody want that? Let's pray this together then. Just read it out, Charles, on the screen. You can bow your heads a bit. I don't know how you can bow and read, but something like that. 
Let's say this together. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Let's just say that once more. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Let's just close our eyes and bow our heads right now. If you've said that out as a prayer to God for the first time ever, then right now, God is finding you. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. God is touching your life and changing you. God is coming in and he's washing away your past. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I'd like to ask you if you've done that for the first time and you meant it, I want to come and talk to you afterwards, so I need to know who you are. Could you put your hand up where you're sitting? The sign to me and to the Lord that you've prayed that prayer. Has anybody done that? Just pop your hand up now so I can see who you are, and I can come and talk to you. There's two people here. God bless you both. That's tremendous. I'm going to chat to you afterwards. Anybody else? Father, thank you right now for these precious, precious people who prayed the greatest prayer we can ever pray. And we pray now for them that inside they will start to feel the presence of your Spirit, the joy of the Lord, the filling power of God, the miracle power of God, the wonder of who God is. And Father, for us all, we pray that you will encourage and inspire us in prayer this week. Now, I'm going to get the band to come up here in a moment, but I don't want to ask you to stand unless if you know you want to pray more and work to do that, I want to say to God, Lord, this week I want to give I want to get back on track with you, Lord. I want to give more of myself to prayer. I want to invite you to stand now because I want to pray for you that God will give you a real help this week, a real boost, a real sense of encouragement to pray. (coughs) Father, we thank you now that if God is there, then it's foolish not to pray. And Lord, we know you're there. So Lord, I want to thank you for each person standing here that you this week will stir our hearts in a fresh and whole new way to turn everything in prayer to God. Small things, medium-sized things, big things, little things, enormous things, personal things, national things. Father, as we pray, help us to look to you, to be praying you, God-centered, together prayers. Lord, help us get our friends together and say, come and pray with me about this. Father, I pray for a culture, for an atmosphere, a spirit of prayer to be honest this week Father I pray your spirit will come upon us at times we'll just stop everything and pray because the spirit's prompting us Father may we pray for nations may we pray for our friends may we pray for ourselves may we pray for our families to pray at every level Father I pray ourselves this week our small group meetings will have a spirit of prayer about them where we just can't wait to pray because God is in the business of answering prayer and hearing prayer and moving because it's his work and his will and his purpose that we're praying about. God, be glorified in us this week, we pray. Be glorified by more praying. And Lord, we know from your word that as we seek your face, you will answer and do those things that you already want to do. Father, thank you 
for this tremendous privilege of prayer. Amen.